Hello, and welcome to the In the Word podcast. This is the podcast that will help you to understand God's Word, build a stronger relationship with God, and develop habits that will help you love God and others better. And now, here's your host, Trevor Pope. want to say thank you, thank you, thank you very much for all of the comments, all of the prayers, all of the testimonies, all of the donations, everything that you guys have been doing for the channel and for the podcast for me. I truly appreciate it. You guys know who you are, and I just want to say thank you for that. Listen, this week a question has been posed, and that question is, did Eve sleep with the snake slash devil in the garden. And the reason why we say snake slash devil is because we know that the enemy used the snake in the garden. But for some of you, when you saw this title or even me saying it now, you may have a weird look on your face because this may be the first time that you've ever heard that asked or said. But believe it or not, there are some that have created a doctrine about it. There have been some debates about it. So I wanted to kind of talk about that today. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is for one, it ties into what we've been talking about lately when it comes to who are you listening to? We've been talking about that a lot lately. Who are you listening to? Whose words are you following? And we talked a lot about Eve in the midst of that, about Adam and Eve. So I figured You know, we can continue along those lines, but at the same time, answer that question. Did Eve sleep with the snake in the garden? But one scripture that I wanted to share with you guys that I thought when you read it, it really covers everything that Eve went through on that day when she was encountered by the snake when 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 Satan came to try to deceive her. And that scripture is James chapter one, and we're going to be reading verses 13 through 15. And I'm going to try to really take my time and try not to rush because sometimes I find myself, you know, because I want to hurry and get all of the information to you guys, I find myself kind of rushing. So I'm going to try to slow myself down uh, so that we can really dig into this. But James chapter one, starting at the third, the 13th verse reads as follows. Let no man Say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So the first verse that we read here, verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God. When we look at the definition of tempted, it is it is to try to get someone to do wrong, especially by a promise of reward. So the scripture is very clear with us that if you are being tempted by evil, if you are being tempted to do something that is going against the word, then obviously that is not God. Yes, God allows us to go through tests in life. He allows things to hit our lives to see how we're going to deal with it and handle it to see if we're going to trust him. But God will never tempt you to do any type of evil, to do anything that goes against his word. Why? Because the scripture says for 
God cannot be tempted with evil. So he is not going to tempt you with evil. And another word for tempted also is Lord to Lord. So verse 14 goes on to say, but every man is tempted. So now it's going to explain to us when a man is tempted. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. That word lust there is intense sexual desire or appetite, an overwhelming desire or craving. The word entice there is to attract by arousing hope or desire. The word conceived there is to become pregnant with. So it says when that lust have conceived, when it has, when it has become impregnated, it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. And when we look in first Corinthians chapter 10, and, and, and I wanted to read that James 1, 13 through 15, because I, I feel that it, it, it just embodies exactly what happened to Eve. And we're going to go through that. But before we do, I just want to read first Corinthians 10 verses 12 through 13, just dealing with the temptation thing. It says, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. So the scripture is saying, listen, if you think you are, at some type of level in God, it says, take heed lest you fall. Humble yourself. Make sure you don't think too high of yourself because, listen, temptation is no joke and it comes in many forms and figures. 13 goes on to say, there have no temptation. Listen to what it says now. There have no temptation taking you but such is common to man. So what the scripture here is saying is that any temptation that has come to your life, this is not uncommon. There is nothing that you have seen, nothing that you have been tempted with that is uncommon. It says, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. So it says, listen, God is faithful in a way that he's not going to allow anything to tempt you. That's that's just going to be so crazy and so hard to deal with that is going to take you away from him. Once again, let's read that again. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. So whatever temptation is coming your way, God is basically telling you in this scripture that you can deal with it, that you can get through this, that you can get over it, that you don't have to fall into it. The scripture goes on to say, but will with the temptation, and this is one of the reasons why, will with the temptation also make a way to escape that she may be able to bear it. So God says one of the main reasons that you aren't going to be tempted above what you are able because I'm going to make a way of an escape with that temptation, I'm going to make a way of an escape. And one of the ways to escape the temptation, believe it or not, is just not to do it. When something is coming, tempting us, and we know most times we know that, you know, it's something that's not going to be pleasing to God. Really, we should just walk away. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee. But what happens is a lot of times we sit there, we ponder on it, we listen to it. And before you know it, that door of escape, you know, God didn't close it, but we've closed it because we haven't, you know, taken that opportunity to get from under that. And then unfortunately, we fall into that temptation. But I want to show you in Genesis chapter three, and we've been talking about this a lot, guys, and it is a reason why God 
has this heavy on my heart. This is there's a reason why I'm continually talking to you about this subject is because it's so much information in the world. And it's always been that way. But now with the Internet, you know, over the years, it's even the more. And you have to be super careful who you are listening to. And we're getting ready to dig in why in Genesis chapter three, starting at that first verse, dealing with our sister Eve. And then we know eventually it will involve Adam as well. But listen to what Genesis three, we're going to be reading verses one through three. Listen to what it says. And we're going to try to take our time here because I feel myself getting excited. So let me just ah, take a, a breath and let's dig into this and look at how James chapter one, verses 13 through 15 just embodies this whole situation. Verse one, Genesis chapter three, verse one says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. Now listen to the definition of subtle, nice, quiet, delicate, clever, cunning, crafty. Now, remember I was saying in the last couple of podcasts, last couple of Eat Up Mondays, that, listen, the devil's not going to come to you with red horns on his head. He's not going to come to you cursing God and screaming and acting crazy. No, the vessel that he's going to come through or whatever way he's going to come through is going to be nice. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be delicate. It's going to be clever. But the thing that you're not going to also see that's happening is going to be cunning and crafty. But listen to another definition of subtle insidious in operation. The word insidious is intended to trap or beguile, intending to trap or beguile. And another word for beguile is to fool. So so a lot of times we don't realize that this thing that's coming, it's looking handsome or it's looking pretty, you know, whether that's a male or a female or it's just, you know, it's just almost too good to be true. But yet here we are taking in every word of it, listening to it. But a lot of times it's just the enemy, you know, moving, nice, quiet, delicate, clever, cunning and crafty, but Unfortunately, it's something that is insidious in its operation. It is intended to trap or beguile you. But the scripture goes on to say, And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So here he is sparking up a conversation. He already knows the answer to it because he's being used by Satan. So Satan already knows what time it is. It says, and he said once again unto the woman, yea, have God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the, of the garden, God hath said ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So we see here in her answer that she has she knows the instruction of God. She knows what God's will is for her life dealing with this tree. So it's not like, you know, the serpent came and asked her some type of trick question that she didn't know the answer to. No, she knew exactly what it was that they were supposed to be doing when it came to that tree. But look at verses four and five. Genesis three, four and five go on to say, and the serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die. So let's stop right there. 
Remember what we read in James chapter 1 and 14. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. That was the first part of it, right? Now think about this. To draw away is to move or begin to move away. And we see a drawing away beginning to happen, you know, on the outside looking in, we see it beginning to happen because here she is. She, first of all, is not discerning who she's talking to, and she's engaging in this conversation, dealing with the tree more than likely because it was something that she had already lusted after. Remember what is said, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Let me give you an example. If you decided to take a diet, right? And let's say you're a sweets person like me. I, I, I love sweets. Let's say your favorite sweet is apple pie. And you said, listen, in order for me to get this diet, to do this diet correctly, then what I need to do is not eat apple pie at all. If I am coming to tempt you, I am not going to come waving a chocolate cake under your nose or trying to present you with a chocolate cake. Why? Because that that's not going to draw you away. That's not something that you desire. That's not something that you are, are hooked to or that, you know, is like a weakness for you. No, I'm going to have to come waving that apple pie. I'm, I'm going to have to come in one of your weakest moments. And it may not even be your weakest moment and say, listen, you know, you want this apple pie. You know, you can eat this apple pie today and start your diet again tomorrow. So what we see here in the garden is evidently at some point, where Eve had to be, you know, looking at that tree and just thinking about the tree and, and, you know, why isn't it that God, you know, don't want us to eat from that tree? Like, because he wasn't going to be able to come. Satan is not able to come according to the scriptures and draw you away, tempt you with something that you are not already lusting after. So the verse says, and the serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die. So she's engaged in this conversation. Listen to what he goes on to say. For God does know the day ye eat thereof. Then your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. What did he do there? Exactly what we saw in James 1 and 14, he takes it to the next level. The first level was the temptation. The first level was the drawing away, engaging her, getting her engaged in conversation, going back and forth, really thinking that this is somebody that really wants to know the information about the tree and just want to conversate when really it's somebody within, that's being insidious in operation. But what what did he do now? He, he tempted, he drew her away. What did James 1 and 14 says? But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his his own lust and what and enticed to the word entice. Remember means to attract by arousing hope or desire. How did he arouse Eve's hope or desire? Listen what he said for God does know the day ye eat thereof. Then your eyes, this is how the enticement came in shall be open and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. So now he has tempted her, he has drew her, drew her away, and now he is enticing her. When we look at when we look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, let's read on. When we look at Genesis 3 and verse 6, listen to what it says. It says, "And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
Now, how is it possible that Eve now sees that this tree is good for food when we know that it is not good for food? We know that this is not a tree that you should be eating from because God says the day that you eat from this tree, you will surely die. But look at what happens to her. It says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Listen once again to James chapter one, verses 14 through 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. We saw that happen and enticed. We saw that. But listen to this part. Then when lust have conceived, that lust that is down on the inside of us, that lust that was down on the inside of Eve, it says, then when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin. How did it bring forth sin? And how did it and how was it conceived? We see in the beginning of Genesis 3 and 6, the conception of it, the conceiving of it. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise. Here comes the sin. So that was the conceiving, right? But here comes the sin that was brought forth. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. So we see the lust that conceived and we saw how it brought forth sin. It brought forth sin by her taking from the tree and eating. Because what is sin? Sin is going against the word of God, going against the instruction of God, going against the will of God. So that lust inside of Eve, it became pregnant, right? And remember we talked about earlier, did Eve actually have intercourse with the snake? I am here to tell you that she did, but it wasn't the type of intercourse that we always think of. Because when we think of intercourse, we constantly think of sexual intercourse, right? But what many don't know that there are two definitions to the word intercourse. But before I give you those definitions, when we look at lust, it's intense sexual desire or appetite. And maybe that's why some of these people, you know, got off into these doctrines about, you know, Eve and the snake having sex. But it says intense sexual desire or appetite and overwhelming desire or craving. Like I said, Eve absolutely had intercourse with the snake slash devil, but it wasn't what we think. And sometimes we have to realize that things are so similar in the natural as they are in the spirit. But let's read the definition of intercourse. The first definition, the one that we all know, is sexual relations. The second definition of intercourse is dealings or communication between individuals or persons. Did Eve have intercourse with the snake? Yes, she did, but it was not sexual intercourse. So we are here to be clear that that doctrine that is out there about Eve sleeping with the snake, that is a false doctrine. And there are many, many, many scriptures that will debunk that whole mindset. But did she actually have intercourse with the snake? She absolutely did. Dealings or communication between individuals or Persons. And it's so weird how 
when you look at James, how it talks about, you know, something being conceived and bringing forth because it almost explains it in like a, 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 a becoming pregnant and giving birth type of thing. But how many know it is not talking about a sexual, but it is talking about words. And that's why you have to be very careful who you are listening to, because when you take in the wrong words and if you take them in long enough, it's just like having natural sex. If you are able to become pregnant, if you're a woman or if you're a, you're a man and you're able to get somebody pregnant, if it don't happen the first time, if you keep on doing, you know, doing it unprotected, having sex unprotected, eventually she is going to get pregnant. So if you sit and listen to somebody talk in your ears or constantly put information in you long enough, it is going to impregnate something on the inside of you. And a lot of times it's not going to have or most times it's not going to have anything to do with God. And I think that that is so powerful because a lot of times. We don't discern who we're listening to. And a lot of times we just kind of freely just let anybody speak to us and say anything to us or sit and just conversate with just, you know, just with anybody sometimes or just sit and conversate about nothing sometimes. Not necessarily, you know, running that conversation through our spiritual filter to be like, wait a minute. You know, this sounds like some craftiness is going on here. This person is being a little cunning. They sound nice. They seem delicate. But there's something more going on here. And that's why we have to allow these words to run through our Holy Spirit. But let's finish up. Let's look at verse six. Once again, it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. And we know all of these things were not true. And a tree desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And, and what did it do? It brought forth sin and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. Look at verse seven, verse seven says, and the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. Uh Oh, and they sewed fig leaves together and made aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the present, from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Remember what James 1 and 15 says, then when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And that's exactly what we see here. Sin, when it was finished, it brought forth death. And what kind of death did it bring forth? It brought forth the death. It was a separation between them and the Lord because now they're hiding. Now they're sowing fig leaves together. You know, when we look at Genesis 3 and 2, Eve said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God have said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. That sin, when it was finished, it brought forth that death. It brought forth that separation from God. And that's why God is constantly telling us to stay in the word as much as we can. Stay praying, stay fasting, stay doing the things that is going to continue to build our spiritual man up. Stop taking in so much of the world's words, because a lot of times if you are not careful, 
Those words will begin to overtake you. You will begin to believe in those words and what you are hearing. And then what happens? It begins to draw you away. It begins to move you away from the Lord and brings you closer to those things that you're lusting after that God may have said, listen, that is not for you. That's not going to be good for you. But if you listen to them long enough, they will make you believe that, listen, God is not telling you something. There's something that God is keeping back from you. And what's so ironic about what we see Eve go through It is also symbolic of the scripture that I've been talking to you guys about for the last two years. And I bring this scripture up all the time. And as soon as you guys hear it, you can be like, oh, yeah, we 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 hear that quite often. But isn't it so ironic that this scripture, first John chapter two, verses 16 through 17, it says for all that is in the world. And this is what Eve dealt with. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Remember, remember what what the definition of lust was. What did we say the definition of lust was? Intense sexual desire or appetite and and, and, and appetite. So remember when the scripture says that when she saw the tree was good for food, appetite. So the lust of the flesh dealing with the appetite. And the lust of the eyes, what did the scripture go on to say? And that it was pleasant to the eyes. So that's the second part, lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And first John two and 16 goes on to say, and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And what was the pride of life and a tree desired to make one wise. In other words, God is not telling you something. There's something he's keeping back from you. Matter of fact, you can be on his level if you want. These two scriptures, she pretty much went through both of them verbatim. And what's so ironic, and let me read uh, verse 17 before I say this. First John 2 and 17 goes on to say, and the and this is the one you guys hear me quote all the time. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now think about this. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What was the will of God for them in that garden? To not eat from that tree. They can eat from any other tree they want. Just don't eat from from this particular one. That's my will. That's my instruction to you. And if you do this, you will abide forever. Remember, they were supposed to be in that garden forever. It was made for them. He says, listen, it's, it's the same way today. If we find ourselves doing the will of God, we're going to abide with him forever. We're going to live eternally with him. But because they did not do that, because they did not do the will of God, because they did not follow instruction, what happened? They were kicked from the garden. And what's so crazy about what got Eve going and what ended up transpiring, isn't it ironic that the thing that Satan used a serpent to say to her was what got him kicked out of heaven. Him trying to be on the level of God. I don't think that's a coincidence there. The thing that got him kicked out of heaven, and we'll read that in Isaiah in a minute, is the same thing he basically said to Eve through the serpent. You know, God does know that the day that you eat of that tree, what did he say? You're going to be like God. 
That was that that was what really got her going. You know what I mean? But that is what got him kicked out of heaven. When we look at Isaiah chapter, uh, what is it, 14, verses 13 through 15, it says, For thou hast said in thy heart, talking about Satan, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. What did he say to her, guys? He told her once again. What did he say to her? Once again, he told her. He says, and the woman said to the serpent, this was her, her, her rebuttal to what he had to say originally. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, God has given us instruction. He has told us what we need to do to continue to do his will. God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. But verses four and five, and the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God does know. For God does know. So he's basically saying, listen, God know. Basically, God don't want you on his level. You know what I mean? But you can get on his level if you want. And that's what the pride of life is. Think about what the pride of life really is. The pride of life is really living however you want, going against the will of God, living a life that God did not intend you to live, living a life in worshiping things and stuff instead of in, in, instead of worshiping the true and living God. That's the pride of life. I'm going to do things my way. What, what is the what is one of the Satanist quotes do? as thou will. That's basically the pride of life. You know, you're basically saying God is not who he says he is. He's not all powerful. He can't do anything to me. Matter of fact, I'm on his level with all this worldly wisdom. I got all these books I'm reading. Look at all the people now that have walked away from the faith because they feel like they found some type of literature that debunks who God is and that Jesus is Lord. That's the pride of life. And that's why we have to stay in the word. That's why we have to have the word hidden down in our heart so that we can stand in the day of temptation so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. But once again, I'm going to read it again. Genesis 3 verses 4 and 5. And the serpent said, and I'm getting excited, guys. And the serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die. And that's what he says to us today. Everything that we see Eve went through, that's these same tactics are the same tactics that Satan has been using from the beginning of time, and he is still using today. For God does know the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan tempts us with the same thing, guys, every single day. And that's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I don't think it's a coincidence. When we look in Genesis, he did it with Eve. You know, Adam took and ate with her and the whole that whole situation happened. When we look in the New Testament, dealing with Jesus, the new Adam, the second Adam, what happens? The same thing happens. The devil comes and tries to tempt him in those three ways. The lust of the flesh. Remember, Jesus was fasting. Listen, eat this bread. The lust of the eyes. He showed him all the kingdoms and the pride of life. He told him to jump off and God to save you. Listen, he's been doing this 
from the beginning. These are the same three things he does every single day in our lives. But we have to take the example of Jesus. How did Jesus combat those things that he was saying? He combated them with the word and it is written. And that's why I try to encourage you guys, the 10 minute challenge, the 20 minutes on your own, 30 minutes on your own, 30 minutes with us, you know, what, whatever, get in that word, hide it down in your heart so that when somebody is coming, talking, and it sounds nice and it sounds good, you can filter it through the Holy Spirit. And when you have the word down in there, it's going to show you immediately if it is of God and if it is not. That's why it's super important that you try to read your word on your own, because when you are in the word and you are allowing God to really speak to you and talk to you, you are not going to be easily manipulated. You're not going to be easily beguiled. You're not going to be easily trapped. But let me finish reading that Isaiah scripture. But I'm, I'm excited and I'm encouraged because the Bible shows us that Satan, he doesn't change up his strategy. It is the same always, but it also shows us how to make sure that whatever it is that he's trying to get impregnated down on the inside of us that is not of God, there's a way to not have that there. And that's to have the Holy Spirit and his word residing in us. So when he tries to come and hit us with the thing that he think is going to take us off course, when we are able to say, and it is written, then guess what? Just like the scripture says, when he was trying to do that with Jesus, he's going to have to flee. He's going to have to leave until he finds another opportune time. And guess what? When he comes back, we should be a lot stronger. We should be be stronger in our words, stronger in our convictions, so that when he comes back, he gets the same treatment over and over again. But let's finish out this last scripture right here, Isaiah, that I was just reading. But I just wanted to show you, the same thing he did with Eve was the same thing that got him in trouble, trying to be like God or wanting to be like God. And we're not here to knock Eve and knock Adam because guess what? God showed them mercy. God didn't kill them. He could have killed them, uh, made new, new, <laughs> made them new man and woman and started all over. No, he, he, they got kicked out of the garden. There were consequences to their actions and God, he ran down all of the consequences, all of the consequences, including for the snake. But guess what? He didn't get rid of them. He kept them. And that's the type of God that we serve. Listen, you may have made some mistakes. I've made mistakes. But guess what? God is still keeping us. But God is saying today, listen, you can't keep on making those mistakes because if you are not careful, sometimes those mistakes could kill you physically and spiritually or just kill you spiritually. You could just be walking around spiritually dead. And that's not what God wants for us. But closing out on that Isaiah 14 dealing with Satan. It says for thou 14, 13 through 15, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the Mount of the congregation in the sides of the North. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. This, this, was the, this was the answer to that, to the sides of the pit. So I just wanted to encourage you guys, don't be fooled by Satan and his same old tricks. We know through what we just read, there was intercourse in that garden, but it was not sexual. Cain was not the devil's baby. 
we've already we've already debunked that. We've already I didn't even go into the scriptures that that debunks that, but we know that that's not true. And if you thought that was true, now you know the truth. There was intercourse that was had in that garden, but it was dealings or communications between individuals or persons. But it was nothing sexual. If you go on to continue to read in Genesis verses four and five, it it lets you know that Eve knew her husband, Adam, and that's how she birthed these sons. So it's clearly in the scriptures how people get way off into all these other things. Who knows? But that's the problem. In order to get off into these false doctrines, and I know I'm going somewhere else, and I promise, guys, I'm about to shut up. But when you get off into these false doctrines, a lot of times when you study these false doctrines and stuff that are made up in different denominations and things like that, what you will find was they had to jump way over something else to get there. And then when you point out, but but look what the scripture says right here. It says she knew, she knew Adam and she had Cain. She knew Adam and she had Abel. And, you know, they're just, oh, you know, they're disregarding and, and go back to trying to prove their point. But that's why we have the Holy Ghost. That's why we have the word in this, because it is our filter. It is our protection. And it is written. That's all we got to say to the devil. And eventually we say it long enough. He will flee. So know that I love you guys. I pray that you were encouraged by this. I just wanted to show you guys on top of answering that question. I wanted to show you guys that there's nothing new under the sun, that Satan is not getting stronger and faster and more cunning than we ever saw before. No, he's doing the same thing he's been doing since the garden. And all you need to do to combat that is the Holy Spirit and the word. And guess what? There's nothing he can do with you. That's why I told you guys, John chapter 10, what did Jesus say? He says, none can pluck you out of my hands. None can pluck you out of the father's hands. What does he try to do though? What does Satan do? He tried, he tries to talk you out of the Lord's hands. He tries to get you to walk away because he knows he can't get you from God by force or or get God to just give you up to him. No, he gets you to do something contrary to the word and believe that God is not for you. He, he's not about your happiness and, and the things that you would desire to do in this world. And and that causes people to walk away. I've seen many people walk away from God because of something they felt God didn't do. He didn't save a loved one. A loved one passed away. They don't have enough money. They don't like where they live. By now, they thought they'd be doing this. And it's like, listen, none of that matters. What matters is knowing the will of God for your life. What ma What matters is knowing that Romans 8 and 28 is true. And we know that. All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So even those things that we don't like, if you truly love God and you have been called according to his purpose, they will work out for you in the end. We've seen it with Joseph. Nobody liked the beginning. I, mean, I won't say nobody, but I'm sure Joseph didn't like the beginning of his story and how everything started out. But when it was all said and done, he was the second ruler of all Egypt. He was able to save his family members. So listen, God has everything under control. The plan is true. The plan is, is flawless. 
And if we follow his will, if we follow his instruction, we're going to get home. We will abide forever. But we have to make sure that we don't have a love for the world somewhere down on the inside of us. But listen, know that I love you guys. I pray that this encourages you. I can keep going on and on with this topic and this subject because I'm very passionate about it. We have to be very careful who we are listening to in this day and age. I don't care how much respect you have for them or how much you look up to them or how much they have that you wish you had. That does not matter to God. God has no respect of persons. Allow yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit and and watch God do all of the things that is going to bring joy to your life for you. I love you guys. Until the next time we hop on the podcast, shalom.